0: If you are a mental health professional who wants to have a bigger impact on the world, help more people, and grow your business all at the same time, then you're in the right place. With every episode, we're here to help you discover new ideas, gain new insights, and get the step-by-step strategies that you need to grow your private practice with confidence. I'm Sarah Gershon, and along with my co-host, Howard Baumgarten, we welcome you to PsychVis. We're so glad you're here.
1: Today, we're going to be talking about more about managed care. And this time, this is sort of part two on how to get on managed care panels. And so, really, what we're going to do today is go over the steps that you need to take in order to get on as an in network therapist with managed care companies like Aetna, United Healthcare, Cigna, Anthem Blue Cross, Blue Shield. Those are just examples of insurance companies that you can apply to and really work within their scope uh, and receive referrals from them. And as we mentioned earlier, Sarah, you'll remember, we talked a little bit about the value in our last episode of being on managed care in terms of getting more referrals.
0: Right. Absolutely. And a lot of people find that it's really an effective way to you know, maybe not have to focus so much on the marketing aspects, maybe kind of know that they're going to be getting people sent to them by the insurance companies on a, on a fairly steady basis. And that can, that can be a huge advantage.
1: Exactly. And before we actually go into the steps, I was on my run this morning and thinking about our time today. And it dawned on me that as we spoke last time about hybrid meaning doing partly managed care and partly fee for service and You know, sometimes clinicians have a hard time deciding how much managed care should I be on, um, you know, versus just doing fee-for-service. And so I kind of came up on my run this morning with a little template of what you would want to think about as a practitioner. We can obviously put all this, like we could maybe make a chart in the show notes or something like this, but the idea here is I want to break it into what I call the first five years of being in private practice, your middle 10 to 15 years of being in private practice, and then beyond 20 years. So those are the first three segments. And then the second part are, the second part of this is do I go full managed care 100%? Do I go hybrid or do I go uh, full, uh, a fee for service. And I, I just wanted a, a quick note on that. Okay. So if you're just starting out and you're in your first five years and you're concerned, and I'm using the word concerned, not afraid, cause we don't want to be, we don't want to come from a fearful place and you're concerned about getting, um, clients. The idea would be to, to sign on with as many managed care companies as you can, because you're going to get, this is just my opinion. You're going to get referrals, um, the more managed care you sign up for, the more referrals are you're going to get. The less opportunity you're going to have for fee for service. But you need clinical experience, and if you're going to be a high volume clinician, and that's the thing. If you're going to, if you're just starting out, you're going to be high volume, and high volume, I'm going to say, is anything above and beyond about 28 clients. So 28 and up. Okay. Um, uh, you know, you're talking. That's really a th- 38 to 45 hour work week depending on how many clients you have and if you have I know people who have 40 clients a week that's a lot and and maybe too much for some Uh, but again if you're if you're looking at numbers and you want a high number of clients and you want to treat as many clients as you can without burning out I recommend initially getting on managed care companies as many as you can and then you can you can pare down a little bit you have any thoughts about that
0: That makes sense. I think that some people might wonder, you know, how the process would work, might be concerned about taking on people who are using insurance. And then if those people become clients and then later they want to pare down, are they going to have to, you know, send people away who have come to, you know, develop a relationship with them? How does that work? What, what would, what advice would you give to someone who has that
1: concern? I love that question because well, let's actually tackle how to get off managed care before we get on. Managed care. <laughs> okay. Let's say you're already on managed care. The way to do that is, um, the, the, in my opinion, the responsible way to do that is to try not to take any new referrals from that managed care company for at least six months or a year. Try to finish up your therapeutic process with as many of, the, of that managed care client as you possibly can as responsibly as you possibly can. Uh, and then also give those existing remaining clients that need to continue with you, which there will be a few, at least three months of a heads up. Be open and transparent. I am in the process of renegotiating or I am in the process of terminating my contract and I wanna be really upfront with you and give you plenty of time to make a decision about what to do. Here are your options. You can. Uh, one thing you can try to do with managed care is get the managed care company to do a one or two time uh, a stipulation for continuity of care and pay you for that client even though you're off. Not many managed care companies do that anymore. So it's not a viable option for most these days. But you can say to the client, you have your, your option. If you have an out of network benefit, you can use that and continue working with me. Uh, you. I think it's the right thing to do to uh, offer a sliding scale for that client and preferably perhaps in some way that minimizes the financial damage but allows them to continue to uh, see you in some way. So maybe you consider if it's just one or two clients and you know that they're gonna finish up within a few more sessions uh, just simply Charging them what their copay was, and considering that a little bit of a short-term loss for the long-term gain of knowing that you're freeing up more time for fee-for-service clients because you might be in year ten and ready for ready for more fee-for-service clients. So really, I love that you asked this question because it's this balance. Like I've never been hundred percent off managed care, and I was a hundred percent on in the first couple of years of being in private practice. And I think uh, for me and my personal experience, uh, it was really successful uh, doing that. Now, again, there are gonna be listeners who say, well, that's not how it worked for me, or that's not what I want to do. So I'm not saying that this is set in stone. This This is really just professional advice coming from both personal perspective and experience in my own successful practice, as well as what I've coached and taught to others, both in my curriculum and in one-to-one consultation. That
0: makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, and so um, uh, if you have specific questions about um, do I wanna be a hybrid person? When is the right time to go on? When is the right time to go off? Uh, I, wanna, am I Can I age out of man- working with managed care? There's so many things that go into that decision. My value system, um, where I'm at in my clinical practice, what the managed care companies are paying for my services and are they willing to pay more. Those kinds of things factor into that decision. If you're struggling with a decision to get on or off and you're not sure, that would be a good time to hire somebody to talk with them about this matter in professional consultation. And you're welcome to drop me a line. I'm happy to talk with you about it. Uh, Okay, so let's talk about getting on the managed care panel. It's actually become a very simplified process. Many clinicians who are fearful of working with managed care have heard through the quote unquote grapevine that there's a lot of paperwork involved, especially with getting on managed care. I'm sure you hear this from your clients that you're building websites for about why they're not doing it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's actually not really exactly true. It's partially true, but very small, a very small truth. And where I find that it's true now still is is if you are wanting to get on Medicare or other government programs like being a Medicaid provider. And even then, they're really trying to clean up some of the paperwork. So the credentialing process for getting on Medicare or Medicaid or other government-related programs can be very challenging. What does the word credentialing mean? Let me explain that. Credentialing means that when you apply for an in-network status on a managed care panel or a government program like Medicare or Medicaid, you have to become fully credentialed with them. And you have to go through a credentialing process where they look at all of your licensure and credentials and background, and uh, your years of service and your specialties, and they, they do background checks, et cetera and they do all that in order to protect you and protect their members, okay? To make sure that they're hiring somebody that and allowing them to participate on their panel, somebody that is reputable, is licensed, verifiably licensed, doesn't have any injunctions or sanctions against their license, has the proper malpractice insurance limits and malpractice insurance itself, uh, has a physical office location that they can see clients in, uh, is nowadays open to seeing virtual or not, uh, what their specialties are, all of that. okay? So this becomes a really important process in getting on managed care. The good news is is that managed care companies used to have individual credentialing packets as much as a hundred pages. I used to fill out packets like 60 pages long for oh each, my God. Yeah, for each managed care company, that's
0: terrible.
1: right. Right, and they were a paper back then. You would, they would send you a packet in the mail. This was back in the 90s and early 2000s before all this became digitized. And they would send this to you in the mail and you'd have to send it back and it would often take somewhere between about four to six months and often longer to become fully credentialed. So because of technology, because of feedback from clinicians uh, and, and others, they've really streamlined this. There is an organization called the CAQH, okay? Which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, stands for uh, Council on, uh, for Accreditation um, and Quality Healthcare, okay? And uh, it's an organization that, uh, yeah, it's called the Council for Affordable Quality Healthcare Incorporated. And it's, they're out of California. And basically what they do is uh, they are the intermediary. This is really cool. They're the intermediary between you, the clinician, and all of your managed care companies that participate with CAQH, which now is most of them. And they collect, they do the data collection uh, that becomes the actual application for all managed care companies. That's much better. So you have an online profile that has your office address, your licensure, the date you were licensed, any injunctions, and any any malpractice lawsuits you have to you have to um, disclose all and, and what the outcomes were. It's very private, it's very secure, uh, and you have a login, you have a private login, and you have to um, uh, uh, stay connected to CAQH once every three to four months and retest just to make sure you have your updates. And the, re- the reattestation doesn't cost anything. By the way, this membership in CAQH, it's all free. You don't pay for it. Um, and the reattestation most often takes about five minutes. And if you have to upload new documents, like once a year, I have to upload my new, renewed malpractice insurance or my license every two years. And that takes another another six, eight minutes to upload, but you keep those documents in their portal so that the managed care companies can access them, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So CAQH is your intermediary and your best friend when it comes to getting on the managed care panels as an in-network provider and maintaining your profile, your updates, your office address, if you have a tax ID number, things like this. Okay. Now, how do I actually apply to an individual managed care company? each managed care organization, and I'm gonna use different terminology, managed care organization, MCO, managed care company, MCC, interchangeable, okay? They have different products. They have what's called an HMO, which is a health maintenance organization um, product, a PPO, preferred provider organization, Uh, other ones, that are less common, those are the the two main most common. The less common ones are uh, the Federal Employees Program or FEP for federal employees. And um, I know Blue Cross is is the main uh, managed care company for that and so you'll see an FEP. Now you might also see what's called an EAP, which stands for Employee Assistance Program. And when you sign on with a given managed care company, they will ask you if you wanna participate in the EAP. You need to know that there are pros and cons of participating with an EAP. An EAP is a free service to company employees that offers counseling usually somewhere between zero, well, usually one and 10 sessions for free to the employee and they, the employee pays nothing and the, and the EAP pays you A rate somewhere between 60 and 75 dollars depending on that contract now sarah is making a face right now and you can't see that (laughs) but because she's right you're right sarah uh tell us about that face it
0: just doesn't seem like um a great deal for the practitioner
1: that's right even even for even for you who is a non-practitioner you knew right away that those are very low rates yeah. Why would you want to be on the EAP? Well, there's there is a, one benefit that I think is really valuable, and that is is that if you need referrals, um, and you're trying to fill spots, a sixty dollar or six seventy five dollar spot is much better than a zero dollar spot. And so I recommend if you're just starting out, try an EAP and see. The other thing is it affords you some benefits like possibly working on their EAP Speakers Bureau, which is something I got into, where you can make more money. And you can also do things like critical incident debriefings. EAPs are hungry for clinicians who are interested in doing that. And in some states, you don't necessarily need to have extra credentials. Sometimes you do, they want a certified EAP professional uh, credential for that. So they'll ask you about those, but that doesn't mean you can't participate in an EAP. So if you have further questions about EAPs, again, you can email, type you know, type those questions in, send them to us, that, um, to me actually, and I'm happy to, to try to answer those for you. So that's the employee assistance um, product. And then there are other um, type of uh, smaller products that insurance companies make, but think about each insurance company as the overarching panel that you're gonna be on. You're gonna be on an insurance panel, and you're gonna wanna know what products do they serve, and you're also going to want to ask them, what are your insurance rates for each product? Or is it, do you have product-specific insurance rates, meaning reimbursement rates to you, the clinician? Or do you have um, just the CPT code reimbursement rates, meaning the code that you would use, an intake code? CPT stands for Common Procedural uh, I forgot what the T is, um, but it's it's the procedural codes that your biller or you would bill to the insurance company. So for example, an intake is a 90791. You'll know all these once you get educated on this once you're on managed care. And they often create reimbursement uh, uh, data, reimbursement amounts based on the code. So an individual intake is slightly higher than a follow-up session. Obviously a 45-minute follow-up counseling session is less reimbursement than a 53 to 60 minute counseling session. So you're gonna wanna know those rates and you're also gonna wanna know if they're product specific. Most managed care companies don't do product specific anymore and they just stick to the CPT specific codes.
0: Can you clarify what product specific means? And I'm sorry if I missed it.
1: Great question. Product specific is um, one insurance company, for example, that I can think of. It's the only one that I know of um, and I believe it's Blue Cross currently has a separate rate for the same CPT code. So for example, if I do an intake for somebody that comes with an HMO product from the HMO, I get less money for that intake, that that very first session, no matter, even if it's the same equivalent session as if it were a PPO client. So I get more money for a PPO client under that insurer than I do an HMO client. So it's again, product specific. HMO, PPO, usually HMOs pay a little bit less if they divide that up. I think we're looking at the very tail end of that going away. It may not even be an issue. But it's still something important to ask at the date of this release, for sure. Okay, so great question. And thank you for for asking that. So what you're gonna do, the first step, if if you are on no managed care companies right now, you are going to uh, reach out to a specific managed care panel. To their, you're going to look for um, their network relations or provider relations department. And oftentimes, you will see if you go to their website. So, for example, let's just use United Behavioral Health, which is now Optum. If you go to the Optum website, you're going to see a, a drop down somewhere. And if and if you Google Optum Behavioral Health or United Behavioral Health, you'll see a drop down that says. Uh, that says, become a provider, or provider relations, or network relations, something like that. And they'll ask you, they'll say, do you wanna become a provider on our panel? Of course, you have to be licensed. So, and some panels want you to have a little bit more experience on, on top of your license. You just have to read what their qualifications are for application. And they'll have like an inquiry page. You send the inquiry, they'll send you an email. If the email comes back with an actual address, a reply address, you'll want to follow up routinely, hey, I haven't heard anything, what's going on, because they're going to want to give you uh, information about how to get on with CAQH. I'm not sure whether you can nowadays get on CAQH directly. I think you used to have to get a code from your very first managed care panel, but once you got that code and and you were able to log into CAQH, you were able to be in caqh for all the other new managed care companies does that make sense
0: yeah but how long does the process take i mean i know that it takes less time than it used to but it sounds like it's still a little bit complicated there are lots of steps here
1: really less steps but yes still complicated (laughs) but not too complicated so you'll you'll basically you'll email that provider relations they'll say um great uh if you don't already have caqh here's what you need to do to get caqh and get on fill out the caqh thing um, note uh, that you want to apply for um, Optum in this case, this example we're talking about. Sometimes the managed care company themselves have a, um, uh, a little bit of paperwork on their end as well, but not much. And usually it's all digital. And, and then you're going to be assigned a, uh, uh, either a provider relations and or credentialing specialist from within that managed care company that you'll be able to interact with during the credentialing process. Once the CA, once you're approved in CAQH and you've completed CAQH, really, depending on the managed care company, it can take as little as a month to become effective with that managed care panel, which is just 30 days. And it can wow. take up to about four months, depending how backlog they are. But they've really streamlined it. It used to take sometimes more than six months and they've streamlined it. And oftentimes um, it's really about, Four to six, or maybe eight weeks at the most, and then you just want to keep checking in with them, and then you'll get an effective date. Here's here's what's going to happen: you will get an effective date. Um, and by the way, the more complete your application is, and you know, obviously, the quicker it goes. If you if you fail to upload your malpractice insurance, or you don't you don't complete fully the Uh, the data that they ask for in the CAQH, it's going to drag it out longer. So you really want to be thorough. The nice thing about CAQH is it takes about five hours to fill out. Um, Maybe not that long, but you can, you can sit down. That's the longest kind of sit down you're going to have in the initial phase, but you don't have, you can save your stuff and come back. So you don't have to do it all in one sitting, which is nice. Yeah, that sounds better. So, okay. Uh, you, you get an effective date and they're also going to send you a uh, uh, an, a contract for you to sign. It's really important that you read that contract. And if you even want to get serious enough about it, a few people have done this. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, but I, I think it's good to consider is to have your own business attorney read these contracts to be able to help you who, who has experience in mental health, to be able to help you know your rights within that participation with that, with that organization. That's really important. Um, I don't have my attorney look at that anymore because I'm just so familiar with these contracts now and I look at them all the time. But in the beginning, I, I had them look at one and, and and they gave me advice and they told, taught me what to look for. And it was worth the five, four or $500 that I spent on, on an attorney. Sure. Again, not, not necessarily, you don't have to do that for sure. Um, the thing to, to remember is that when you sign that contract, um, that it's a binding contract, and that you're now um, bound to practice therapy. Uh, they don't guide the, way, the, the the way you intervene with them, but they but they do guide some parts of your practice in terms of referrals and and things like this. They don't require you to accept referrals, but they definitely have. Some, you know, one of the big stipulations in their contract is if you get a client and they want to use their insurance and you're on their panel, you have to use their insurance. It's also abusive and inappropriate and quite frankly, would be breaking uh, ethical boundaries and breaking your contract if you try to talk your client out of using their insurance. So there's things like this that you need to, you know, that are good practice that you need to remember when working with managed care panels and, and in their networks.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. So that's sort of a brief overview on how to get on the managed care panel. You want to make sure finally that they send you a signed executed contract for your files, meaning after you sign it and their CEO signs it, that you have that executed contract. And one other thing is that if you have an LLC, that not your individual name, but that your LLC is on this contract as a way to protect you, the individual, so that you're basically saying my company my llc essentially is the the entity that's contracted with this managed care company that makes a lot of sense okay a lot of information but really not you know not too many steps to be honest it's really a waiting game and and you you know you you do the managed care companies don't try to tether you to them they realize that you like autonomy and independence and so even though i gave you that little warning a moment ago the reality is is that you're uh, you're not tethered to them in a way that you lose your autonomy. You have you can you can go off of that company. Just know what it takes and how long it takes, and and what the proper protocols and procedures are. Oh, and by the way, the managed care companies will tell you that if you're going off of their panel, that it's your responsibility to ethically and appropriately uh, resettle the client with a clinician that takes that insurance as an option. So there'll be some type of clause related to that type of behavior. And I think that's important to pay attention to. See how flexible the managed care company is about that when the time comes for terminating your contract if you want to do so. That makes a lot of sense too. Okay. Well, I hope that this information on managed care and the steps I've shared with you are helpful. I will tell you that you know, this is where it is now, and these steps and protocols, they, they change, and you know, they change because the CAQH people, the managed care companies themselves, and you the clinician provide feedback and systems, you know, need to get better. And so when you listen to this, if you listen to this two or five years from the date of release, it, it's going to look different probably. Uh, and so it's important to follow up and figure out what those differences are. Again, I can be helpful. Uh, I try to keep up with those differences, and so I encourage you to check in for support. and uh, hopefully this this episode was helpful for you. We hope you found today's episode thought-provoking and helpful. We'd love to know what you think, so leave us a comment and don't forget to subscribe. You can find the show notes and additional resources at psychbiz.com. Thank you for listening.